Thanks, LJ. Thank you, Nicole. Good morning. Happy New Year again to you guys. If I didn't see you uh, last Sunday, it's uh, eight days in, crazy. Thus far, so good for me. So eight days, I'm all right. All right, New Year's doing okay. Uh, I have four family, church family items uh, to share with you as uh, just an addition to some of the announcements that we had. So the first is thank you for praying for Anna. Uh, she is out of the hospital, but she is still fighting this lingering fever. Uh, so if you continue to pray, I know they would appreciate it. Actually, this morning, she's going back to the hospital, and Josh and Ann are hoping to get a referral to a different one to figure out what's going on. So please pray for her. Also, our, our dear sister, Ala, if you know Ala, Keisho and Ala, they usually are downstairs. They're the ones that host the uh, the elderly Okinawan, um, you know, group that comes in, also the Ukrainian group comes with them. Well, she fell down the stairs uh, at the mall uh, this, this weekend and uh, busted her leg up pretty bad and tore some ligaments and possibly um, some bones. And so anyways, just pray for her, pray for healing for her. She does a lot for the family uh, and with hosting the Ukrainian, uh, you know, refugees are here. So we can pray for Allah. Uh, thirdly, if we can pray for LJ's mom, um, he found out, I think just yesterday, that uh, one of the pipes in her house froze, uh, and then it busted, and it um, broke through part of the house, and then when it defrosted, all the water came through, damaged her entire house, and so she uh, has to be somewhere else for six months and repairing the house, and so just a lot of things were damaged and lost, so just pray for LJ's mom. I know that uh, she, he, and the family would appreciate it. And then lastly, if you didn't know, uh, Anthony Sell, today is his last day, his last Sunday with us for a while. Uh, we're going to pray him back. Uh, but he's heading uh, stateside on Tuesday. Uh, he is going to start nursing school, and so uh, he's in the back serving. He's serving his last Sunday here. Uh, we'll pray for him, uh, second service for sure, but just uh, if you see him, just thank him, and uh, we want to be in prayer for him. Okay? All right. See some faces that are back from traveling. It's uh, great to have you guys back. Let's open to First Peter. We're starting a brand new book and series today. Uh, we're going to continue to do as we've done, just a systematic, in-depth study of First Peter. We're going to go all chapters five of them, and verse by verse, as we have done. If you need to borrow a Bible, just raise your hand real high. The guys will be happy to let you borrow a Bible so you can follow with us. Uh, I, I didn't know the ladies are going to do First and Second Peter, and I live with the gal that, uh, that runs that ministry. So I'm going to steal her notes. I'm like, all right, that's fun. We entitled our, our series, Sojourn. It's really just taken right out of 1 Peter and the words that he uses uh, to describe, really, us. And we'll talk a little bit about that. And in fact, this morning I entitled our, our message, just verse 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 1, Peter and Pilgrims. And we're going to look at Peter and we're going to look at the word that he uses to describe, to describe us. Um, Last Sunday was the first Sunday of the month, and our normal way is that when we have the first Sunday, we have communion, but we didn't have communion last Sunday. We just had one service. It was a special uh, Sunday for us. So today, we will have a time of communion at the close of our service, okay? All right. I'm going to have you stand. You won't have to stand very long. I think just to help keep a good context and completion of thought, we'll read verses 1 and 2. Peter, of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he writes and in introducing himself, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's the author. Here's the audience. To the pilgrims or sojourners, your Bible may translate, or exiles, in fact. To the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia. Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. All right. Take a moment, say hello to someone, and then you can have a seat. Well, I'm really excited, just the timing of this. The, it's a new year. We are starting a new book. There's a new series before us. Um, 
you know, when we gather together on Sundays and, and share in what the Lord has been speaking, and of course, primarily it's what God's laid on my heart as I have the honor and privilege to then share with you and teach and preach and explain and exposit, you know, all that the Lord um, was giving me through my time of study. I think together we can trust that God will edify as he promises his word doesn't return void, at times to exhort us, uh, at times to encourage us. And in my prayer, really, in our times together on Sundays, to just simply be faithful to teach the word of God as simply as I can with, with clear exposition of scripture. But I want to add this. I do believe that God wants to not just speak in terms of inspiration and explanation, but also God wants to give a word of confirmation. And so my my charge and challenge to you is, as you know, we're going systematically, is read ahead. Uh, read each week and First Peter, and, and you know, we, we tend to move a little, well, I tend to move a little slower. We, we want to unpack some of these themes. And, th- and there's, some, there's some rich theology. I mean, verse 2, when he talks about the elect and the foreknowledge of God and the sanctification of the Spirit and the sprinkling of blood, like we... You know, we, we want to unpack those things so that we can be, again, edified and equipped and understand what, what is Peter talking about. But my challenge to you is to read ahead and study and meditate upon the word of God. And then when we gather together, I, I trust and believe as I share with you what God has given to me that it's going to be confirmation. You're going to be like, oh, the Lord was showing me this and or. If God showed you something else, I, I would love to hear what the Lord put on your heart. You know, after we uh, have our time of teaching and you come and say, oh man, the Lord was showing me these things. I, I want to be edified and encouraged as well. And so uh, that, that's what I'd like to invite you to do and, and challenge you to do as we make our way this year uh, through First Peter. I don't think it'll take the whole year, but, um, you know, in this next season. Okay, so we're going to do a quick overview of First Peter. If you have a study Bible, a lot of these things are found in your study Bible, probably even more detail than what I'm going to share. Uh, we'll do a quick overview, and then we'll just jump into First Peter. And really, as we've used the phrase before, we'll stand in the doorway of this great epistle, uh, just at verse 1. Okay, look at the audience. We'll look at the author in great detail. All right, overview. Who, who, Peter's the author of this letter. It's pretty self-explanatory. First and second Peter, written by the apostle Peter. Uh, history says more than likely it's around 62, 63 AD. Uh, so a few years, you know, a couple decades after um, the early church has been birthed, uh, right before the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD when the Romans would come in under Titus Vespasian and destroy it all. And so Peter's writing these letters. Uh, There are 27 books in the New Testament. 21 of them are considered epistles or these type of letters. And of those 21, two, two of them are written by Peter. We very quickly we'll understand his purpose or the goal, the the aim. Why is he writing this letter? He wants to strengthen the audience, the believers that he's writing to, really in the midst of difficult times, in the midst of suffering and persecution they were experiencing in the various parts of uh, Asia Minor, which they were living uh, and so he's writing to encourage them. He's writing to, to strengthen them through these very difficult times. And, you know, hard times, as we all know, right, they, they, can, they can either uh, grind us down and cause us to give up, or they can become a means which God uses to uh, gird us up 
And Peter will use that phrase to gird up, you know, our minds and also a means in which we grow up, which we mature and we, um, we get stronger in our faith as a result of the challenges that we go through. And what Peter will do throughout the letter, and unlike Paul where he just sets forth all of the things that we should know, and then he has his conclusion of what we do in response, Peter will, will interweave and intertwine these thoughts along the way. And, and what he does is he, he reminds the reader, reminds us of, of who we are in Christ, our identity, and he's going to use all kinds of different descriptors, but to remind us who we are in Christ with the emphasis of what Christ has done, what Jesus did for us, his sacrifice, his life, his power, his goodness, his holiness, and then the calling we have in response to that, then to be like Jesus, to follow his example through suffering and that we can live in holiness and we can live in purity and we can live victorious because of who we are in the Lord, even if it's a difficult season, even if it's a hostile world. And so his, his message really, I believe, is so fitting and apropos for us. It's needed for us today. Like how can we as Christians live with real hope and with Character and conduct that honors God through a godless world and, and one that's increasingly hostile towards Christians, towards biblical values. First Peter equips us. First Peter gives us those answers. Now, th- there are many sub-themes that Peter will bring us to. Again, as I mentioned, he will interweave these things. It's not as though we'll kind of hit one topic and then move on and move to another topic. We'll hit a topic and we'll come back to the topic. We'll come back to the topic again. Some of those themes are uh, hope, hope and holiness, uh, salvation and suffering, glory and grace, revelation, Part of what gives us hope is the fact that not only has Christ lived and died for us, we have this living hope, but a hope of heaven. And Peter's going to remind us that uh, we are sojourners and we have a destination and, uh, and heaven is our home. And so revelation and rejoicing. Peter likes the words perishable and imperishable. And he'll use that often. Um, really simple, simplified outline of First Peter that you can outline Peter and chop it up in different ways. But I'll just give you one simple one. From chapter 1 to the middle of chapter 2, Peter is going to hit the theme of salvation and sanctification of the believer. As we came to faith and then what God does the Spirit does in our life. Uh, from the middle of chapter 2 to the middle of chapter 3, it's the submission of the believer. And he'll talk about submitting to authorities. He'll talk about our family relationships, our mutual submission one to another. He's going to talk about marriage uh, in that, those chapters. And then he's going to spend some time, about two chapters, the middle of chapter 3, to the end of chapter five, talking about suffering. And, you know, it's a topic I don't think we we like to talk about. I know that's not one I like to talk about, but it's a biblical topic. It's important for us. And Peter gives a a lot of thought to that. And, uh, And so he talks about these things, salvation and sanctification, our submission, and persevering through suffering. And, and all of that, what's understood is our ability to do that is given by the Holy Spirit. This isn't a, as we've talked about before, right? This isn't a pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, have your own determination. This is, you know, you're going to get through this through your own will. No, no. This is something that God provides, that Christ provided 
the ability to do that through the empowering of the Holy Spirit to the glory of the Father. In fact, he will, the theme of the Trinity will often be uh, interwoven throughout his letter as well. So that's just an overview of Peter. Let's uh, step into the doorway of this great letter. We're going to consider him as the author and then his audience as he addresses them initially as pilgrims. All right, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter perhaps is a man in scripture that needs no introduction, right? Aside from Jesus, Peter is mentioned the most throughout the Gospels. Uh, I, I suspect that even non-believers, non-Christians know the name of Peter or St. Peter, right? He's usually the one standing at the pearly gates in all of those uh, jokes about heaven. If you know your Bibles, you know that Peter is a very colorful character. Uh, we learn a lot about his personality, perhaps more than any of the other apostles or disciples. We learn about him through a number of predicaments that he finds himself in. Uh, I would submit to you that Peter is the original Rocky. Right? His name, uh, Petros, it means stone, generally means small stone or like a rock. Peter has different names that he is referred to throughout the Gospels. Uh, one name is Cephas, which is really just the Aramaic equivalent of Petros. It means the same thing. Uh, and or uh, his Jewish name, which was Simon. Uh, he's often referred to as Simon the son of Jonah or Simon Bar-Jonah or even Simon Peter, where those names are put together. And that's his name when we first meet him in the Gospels. And you might remember even when Jesus meets Simon, son of uh, Jonah, he tells him in John chapter 1, verse 42, uh, you're called, I know your name, Simon, you're the son of Jonah, but you shall be called Cephas, and John tells us, which is translated as rock or Peter. It's interesting, right? Jesus uh, would change his name. We, we, we find that from time to time when God changes a person's name. It's often because God was changing uh, their calling, if you will, uh, to bring them into something new. And so now they have a new mission in life. And along with that is a new name that designates their new identity. Uh, God does that with you and me, by the way. Um, he's called you to himself. The Bible says that all the old things have passed away, 2 Corinthians 5. You and I are a new creation in Christ Jesus. We're given a new identity, and all of us then have the new name, if you will, a new label, and that is Christian or Christ follower. Now, we, we like Peter, and I think we like Peter because he, we can relate to him. And, and we like Peter because we get to see the process of that calling of Christ in that new destiny, that, that new mission being worked out in his life through um, you know, a, a series of events and through a series of, uh, of record for us the Gospels have. And even into the book of Acts. And, and we have the advantage as we consider his life to see, if you will, the majority of it. Now, we, history tells us that Peter would be martyred for his faith. The Bible doesn't record that part for us. But we get to see the potential. And the working out of that potential that God saw in his life, that Jesus identified even when he first met him, even if Peter didn't see it. But isn't it interesting? I mean, why is it so hard for us to see the same in our own lives? God sees that in you. Our story, your story is still being written. We don't know the rest of what God wants to do, but he has promised that he'll complete the good work he began in you. God's not done with you. We're all new creations. And so we, we watch Peter, these episodes of his life. We watch Peter learn to trust. The beginning of his 
growing of his faith and obedience in what Jesus was leading him and calling him to do. There in Luke 5, where he says, Peter, I want to borrow your boat. Why don't you jump in with me? And after he's done ministering to the crowd, they're not done. Jesus then turns to Peter in kind of this one-on-one conversation and tells him, hey, why don't we push out into the deep? And they go out a little further. And it's just him and the Lord. You know, that, that great scene where he says, hey, Peter, why don't you let down your nets for a catch? And, of course, Peter, I think in his mind, he's saying, mm, uh, remember when you just saw me? I was cleaning my nets. I'm done with the day. I clocked out. You're the carpenter preacher. I am the professional fisherman. I didn't catch anything. He says that, nevertheless, at your, at your word, I'll, I'll let down the nets. And, and you might remember the account. Like all of this fish pile into his net. Peter learned faith. He's learning obedience in that. We, we find another scene of Peter out on the waters. And, and we, we cheer for him initially, and then we, we groan for him as he, uh, uh, of the only disciples, who sees Jesus and says, I, I want to do what you're doing. Ask me to come out on the water. And the Lord did. And Peter walked on water. He's walking on these waves. But again, you know the account. He gets distracted and he begins to sink. And so we, we cheer for Peter initially and then we groan. Oh, it's Peter who had to learn to let his pride go several times. One moment, Jesus asks a pop quiz question. Who do the people say that I am? There's different responses. Peter says, ooh, 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 I know, I know. You are the son of God. You are the promised Messiah. Jesus says, gold star, buddy. High five. Moments later, Jesus begins to talk about what he has to do. And Peter says, no, that's not going to happen to you. Gold star in one moment. And then Jesus says, he calls him Satan. In the next. It's like parenting, right? <laughs> we, we empathize with Peter. Right? We, we watch him who meant well, perhaps misunderstood what Jesus said when he talked about there'll be a time where a sword was going to come. Peter thought, oh, I got to go get one. So he goes to, you know, the swap meet. Somehow gets one. And there in the garden when the soldiers come and the high priest and this group of this mob that's come to arrest Jesus. Peter, who I believe meant well, pulls out his sword and he cuts off the ear of Malchus. Now, I've often wondered if he's trying to cut off his head. He's terrible then, right? Like he just got the ear. But he makes a huge mess of the situation. And yet I love that scene because it's Jesus who picks up his mess, literally. Picks up the ear of Malchus and heals that guy. I mean, there's times I think where we can be well-intentioned. We maybe misunderstand what God's wanting us to do. And and we, uh, we make a mess of the situation. And yet God in his grace picks up our messes and provides the healing sometimes that we, we create, the hurt that we create. We, we cry for Peter. It's Peter who, again, at one time was so confident in his loyalty to Jesus. I'll go where you go. I'll die for you. And then... In a courtyard, right? When, when it mattered, Peter caves. He crumbles. And Jesus told him, you're going to be confronted and you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows twice. And that's exactly what happened. Right? And we, we grieve with Peter where he says, I, I don't know the guy denounces, distances himself from Jesus. The Bible even says he, he curses. 
And so we cry for Peter. And then yet at the same time, we, we cheer for Peter. We cheer for Peter when it's after that scene. It's not too long after where Jesus, who's resurrected from the dead, comes on the seashore, the lake of, uh, of Galilee. And, the, and there's that really familiar scene of the water and the boat and the fish and nets. And Jesus and Peter have another private conversation. They take a stroll along the shoreline. And it's in that conversation that Jesus gives Peter grace upon grace and restores Peter and redeems Peter and recommissions Peter to tend the flock and feed his lambs and, and care for the flock of God. And so we, we watch Peter and we, our emotions and our cheering and our groaning and our, uh, our applause and our uh, you know, being aghasted and, and, and just all of that, we, we walk with Peter and we watch his life. It's that Peter that's written this letter. And then things change in a very big way. In the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples. The Holy Spirit comes upon Peter in the supernatural event. And we see a very different Peter. Right? He's the same, but he's not the same. Anybody remember the old uh, American cartoon, He-Man? Anybody remember He-Man? Anybody old like me? Right, the five of us. All right. Yeah. That's right. The thing that always blew my mind is, how could they never figure out that Prince Adam was He-Man? Right? That's his secret identity. That's his superhero identity. Yeah, they'd be like, where's Prince Adam? I don't know. He did, you know, just spray tan. That's the only difference between uh, He-Man and Prince Adam, right? And there's a Japanese equivalent. So, again, it's a little bit older, but there was a Japanese manga or cartoon called uh, Sailor Moon. Anybody know Sailor Moon? Yeah. Right? So the girl, Usagi Tsukino. Oh, do we have a side by? So that, that's Sailor Moon as she's... Kind of like a superhero. And then you have the, that's her as a student. Like, flip them back and forth real quick. I don't know. Where, where did Sagi Sun go, right? They look exactly the same. Exactly the same. Listen, Peter is still the same. But he's spirit-filled Peter. He's the same, but he's not the same. He's the same, but he's, but he's very different. And so... As we follow him and what God is doing in his life, we, there's a part then we're also shocked. Right? We stand in awe of what then Peter, who then stands up, and he gives his first recorded sermon in Acts chapter 2. And it's brazen and it's bold. 3,000 people hear that message and they get saved and baptized that day. Like, you know, sometimes we read that and it just seems like words on a page. 3,000 people listen to what Peter said and they give their heart to the Lord that day. And they come into the body of Christ that day. And, and, and it's new Peter, if you will, marked by a filling and empowering of the Holy Spirit. And he continues to preach, not just that day, but he preaches with power. And then to the same group of people, the Sanhedrin, the, the religious council, that he tried at one point to uh, flee from and fib to, it's to that same group that he's now on fire. Right? And he's preaching truth and he's dropping truth bombs and it's cutting to their heart. I mean, the same guy who fumbled critical moments I just dropped the ball couldn't stay awake when jesus asked him to didn't know what to say in a moment i mean he is the guy who's often we find him right the the phrase of having to put his you know he puts his foot in his mouth 
He is the epitome of ready, fire, aim. His mouth got him in a lot of trouble. Peter is a guy of action, but often it was his flesh, just reaction. And yet through it all, Jesus is so gracious to him over and over again. As Jesus is so gracious with all of us. Amen? Because we too are works in progress. We too, sometimes our mouth gets us in trouble. And we too get ahead of the Lord. And we too can blow it and fumble. And sometimes we fumble big. And yet the work of the Lord in Peter's life is the work of the Lord in all of our lives. He wants to restore and redeem wants to bring us into his calling and grace. See, Jesus, if we just consider the life of Peter and lesson that we can learn together, Jesus sees the potential of your life. Jesus sees and, and the fulfillment of the calling that he has upon your life. Even when you don't, and I'll add this, and even if you have blown it in the past, Peter blew it. And yet God called him and redeemed him. And the Lord does the same thing in your life as well. And I trust that, that, that God wants to give you that word, especially this new year. Whatever happened in the past, you leave it in the past and, and follow the Lord. As Jesus would tell Peter, right? Remember that, that conversation on the seashore? Oh, it's not my notes, Maki. Peter is looking, he sees John. What about that guy? Peter basically says, who cares about that guy? Let me worry about John. You follow me. That was the word to Peter. You follow me. And what happened? A time came not too long and not too far in the future distance where then Peter writes this letter, these letters. And he introduces himself and he says, hey, it's Rocky. It's Pete, <laughs> Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon made a commentary on this, and he, and he wrote, and I'll quote, It must have been very pleasant to Peter's heart to write those words, Peter, not the one who denied his master, not Peter full of imperfections and infirmities, the impetuous, the ever-changeable of the twelve, but Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, as one truly sent of God as any of the other apostles, with as much of the spirit of his master resting upon him, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And so Peter introduces himself, and this is the style of the way that they would write during these days. You know, nowadays for us, we usually sign at the end, right? But for them, remember, they had scrolls. And so you'd have to like get to the bottom of the scroll. Who wrote this letter, right? And so he puts forth his identity and his apostleship. And, and, and I imagine he did this not just to introduce himself, but, but you also note with me that he, he doesn't write, as Paul would often write, by the will of God or, and not of man. Like Peter's place and his position was never in question. I mean, people knew who Peter was. And yet his authority of his words didn't rest on Peter, right? Though some tradition would say he's the first pope, he isn't the first pope. The only reason his words have authority is because of Jesus Christ. And that is true of any spiritual leader, by the way. Authority of roles and responsibilities exist only because you and I have a, a, a mutual agreement and we submit ourselves to the authority of scripture and the authority of the lordship of Jesus Christ and then he then sets forth right the order of which we then have relationships and responsibilities and roles for Peter he's an apostle an apostle means one sent out by the authority of another the original greek word it's a, it's a Compound word, apo means from and stello means sent forth. 
It's the one who's sent forth from. Usually it's from a dignitary or from a king or from someone of, of great authority. Today we use the word emissary or ambassador. One who represents uh, the interest and the authority of somebody else. And now I do believe that the office of biblical apostleship, and sometimes, you know, the delineation is the capital A. But Peter was a capital A apostle, that that office has been fulfilled, if you will. That office is closed. But the heart of apostles, the, the function, the spirit of apostolic ministry, excuse me, that that continues. Well, not, not in the foundation of Scripture, not in the writing of, of, of Scripture, setting forth doctrine, but in the role of being sent out. I think, I believe missionaries today fill the heart of that calling being sent out by the authority of the scriptures and the authority of Christ through the local church empowered by the spirit, then being sent out on behalf of that church and the gospel. And by the way, I also believe in the broadest sense, apostle refers to all believers. Peter's going to use these different phrases. And one of the phrases that he's going to describe us in or with in chapter two is that we are a chosen generation. We, we are a royal priesthood. And so every single believer, you are called by God and called to be sent out into this world to be light and salt and a witness for Jesus Christ. Right? You, you and I get to represent the Lord to this lost and dying world. It's a different word, but in terms of the idea, it's the same that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 5.20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ, God making his appeal through us. And Paul says, then we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God, right? We have this message and this ministry of reconciliation. You know the other cool thing about Peter, and we'll move on quickly? He's just a regular dude. He wasn't formally educated. He grew up in Galilee, kind of a, a blue-collar country area. He didn't grow up in the city. His family business was fishing. I mean, that's initially what he, his occupation was. He's a fisherman. And he grew up in this region that was distinct, especially for the way that they talked. That's one of the ways that the people in Jerusalem knew. Like, hey, your, your speech betrays you. You have this Galilean drawl. So he's just a regular guy. And yet the greatest compliment was paid to him by the religious educated, by the religious elite. In Acts chapter 4, it says, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John's with him, of Peter and John, and they perceived that those guys were uneducated and untrained men, it says they marveled. And here's the greatest compliment they paid. Because they realized that they had been with Jesus. Just regular dudes who've been with the Lord. Okay, that, that's us. You, we're just common people called by God to be his ambassadors and to allow the Lord to do what he wants to do in our life. That we then would make an impression and influence the people around us. That people like, something's different about you. And we could say, oh, we're, we're hanging out with Jesus. So that's Peter. That's the author. That's his, him, his story. Most of you know it. He says, To the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Peter now identifies the recipients of his letter. And he addresses them, at least in the New King James Version, as pilgrims. Again, your translation may say sojourner or stranger or exiles, uh, even aliens. Does anybody say aliens in their Bible? A couple of you? There are a lot of different words that that one original Greek word is translated as, and it's, a, it's, it's its own compound word. It's 
the word parapademos. It's actually three Greek words put together. Para means alongside, right? like paramedic. Uh, so alongside para. Epi means upon, like epidermis, epi. And then demos in classical Greek referred to the heathen nations. We get the word demographic from. It's the idea of other people. And so it's the idea that uh, they are alien, resident aliens living amongst, in, with other people. And so the term was described or was used to describe a, a person a, who moved into a foreign country and they lived amongst the native population for a time. We can understand that. That's, that's many of us. You are a temporary resident here in Japan for a time. Uh, you have a resident status. Uh, the same is true for me. Though I'm half uh, Japanese and half American, my, I have an alien card. And I have to renew it every five years. Uh, I'm not a Japanese citizen. My mom was a Japanese citizen, so I, my status is you know, child of a Japanese national. That's my visa status. But as far as Japan is concerned, when they look at me, Although I've lived here now uh, 22 years come February, uh, I'm still a resident alien. I'm a foreigner that lives amongst the local population. And, that, and that's the term that Peter uses to describe his recipients, the audience that he's writing to. And he identifies them in five geographic regions. And he names them. And they're all found in modern-day Turkey today, by the way, the Middle East. Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. But notice he calls them pilgrims of the dispersion. Now, some of your Bibles may just say simply of the exiled, or that uses the term scattered or broad. And so some suggest that Peter is writing to Jewish believers who have been scattered throughout the region due to uh, historical times of persecution of the Jewish people. And it's happened. It happened with Babylon. It happened with the Persians. Uh, in terms of history with Peter, and this time it happened with Greece. It was happening with Rome. It's going to happen again. And so the Jewish people resided not just in Israel, but throughout that whole region, the Middle East and Asia Minor. And so it could be, and of course, it makes sense that that's on, I would say, one level how he addressed. I want to suggest you the term in the audience can be the Jewish believers, but it's not limited to, to them. That the audience also includes all believers, Gentile and Jews, living in those regions. And as we read it, the term still applies for us today because he's going to use it over and over again. It's a good reminder for us. We are pilgrims. We, we are sojourners. We are resident aliens living, right, exiled like scattered seed in this world as temporary residents. And if that's true, and I believe that it is, it has some implication. And, and this is where we'll close these last three thoughts, our remaining time before we have communion. If that's true, then really simply, it reminds us that we're on a journey then. This is not our home. We, we shouldn't drop anchor here. We live here. We make the most of our time here. But our true destination is the other side of eternity. And, and hopefully then, if that is true and you, you and I embrace that perspective in this life, it's going to impact then how you view this life. And we've talked about this before through the book of James. The fact that we're just passing through should change the way that we view our pursuits and our priorities, the things that we value. It really should change everything about life, even how we view our struggles and our hurts. The way we think about our homes and our jobs, the way we think about money, and the way that we plan our future. One of the things that LJ shared about his mom when, you know, the, um, the 
water pipe busted and she'd been at home 20 something years, LJ, forgive me, 22 years. That she herself who knows the Lord realized that's just things. Now it's still sad, right? Because it's sentimental things, but at the end of the day, it's, it's just things. And when we have a heavenly perspective, it allows us then to have a proper view then of when those type of things happen in our life. That we don't panic and freak out. And so we're reminded that we are en route, as the writer Hebrew says, to a better heavenly country, to a city uh, made without hands, right? Designed and, and whose builder and maker is God. Second thing, the fact that we are pilgrims reminds us of is that God's called us to live differently. Inherent in that word and inherent in that journey is that uh, we live life differently. God's called us to live as lights amongst the darkness. We're called to be peculiar people. So the way that we live our life should be different. We don't act like or look like then the world around us. The way that we live and the way that we speak and our values should look very different from the world around us. We're not to adopt the ways of the world. And yet sadly, uh, we hear of churches and see churches and Christians who've lost their identity. They've adopted the world's identity. They're being swept away by these ideologies and you know, man-made philosophies. Embracing those things, what happens? They look and sound uh, just like the world. There's no distinction. And they're okay with it. And yet John warned us, didn't he? In 1 John chapter 2, don't love the world, don't love the things of the world. If we love the world, he says, the love of the Father is not in us. That those things are incompatible. We can't love the world and love God. The love of the world, it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. That's all the world's brand. It's not of the Father. And then lastly, we're reminded that, that God has commissioned us. We have a mission as sojourners. It isn't just to survive, but we're to thrive and to share. I mean, if salvation was only about us getting to heaven, then the moment you said, I do, and yes, Lord, I want your salvation, they'd be like Star Trek. You know, beam me up, St. Peter. We go meet him at the pearly gates. No, God has a mission for you. And we're called to live differently so that we make an impact on the people around us so that we can bring people with us when we go to heaven. We call that the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And so as a church, we have a unique role that God has assigned us. We get to share the love of God with people around us that they can know Jesus, his son, the savior, the only hope of this world. Amen? So we step into the doorway of 1 Peter. We get to learn a lot from the life of Peter. It's a great character study. And just this one word says a lot about who we are. The fact that we are pilgrims and sojourners, foreigners, resident aliens, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and the ushers to come and serve. Gang, as we partake of the bread and the cup as we've done in the past, remember they're, they're served together. They are in many ways a tangible, tasteable reminder of our identity in the Lord. The very things that we talked about. And Peter's going to tell us that we are not redeemed with corruptible things like gold or silver, but we have been redeemed by the precious blood of of Jesus Christ as a lamb without spot or without wrinkle. Next week, we're going to consider the title of elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And, and Peter will have all of these, uh, thank you, wonderful descriptors of who we are in the Lord. It, he adds our identity to pilgrims and sojourners, we're elect, we're sanctified, begotten to a living hope, who call us children, 
He'll describe us as living Legos, these stones that are being built into a spiritual house. He'll call us as a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, uh, a holy nation, a special people, and more. And all of those labels of our identity, because God loved you. He called you and me to himself, that we might know him, and then we would go forth and share his love with other people. And communion, communion reminds us of that, of our identity. The bread reminds us of his body that was bruised and broken for you and me. The cup speaks of his blood. Covers and cleanses, makes us right, atones us from our sin. And together they speak of the love of God in our life and what God has called us to. Who we are and where we're going. The hope of heaven is real. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, our time of communion now. We pray in these moments of worship that you would meet us here. Things that, Lord, we've been holding on to that we'd let go today. <coughs> to reminded of your grace upon grace. And like Peter, Lord, we, we've been called by you. You've given us a new identity. And, and Lord, through the course of time, there's been times where we've slipped away. We've backslidden. We've lost focus. And yet here you are yet again in your grace to redeem and restore, to lift us up when we're sinking, to recommission us. And Lord, I, I pray that we too would realize that we, we don't know the rest of your story of grace. You're still writing it. And regardless of what happened in yesterday and yesteryear, that, Lord, today's a new day. And from now on, Lord, we can receive a new identity and walk in the way that you've called us to walk. Lord, help us to remember who we are in this world. We're in it, but we're not of it. We're called to live differently the way we speak, the way we conduct ourselves at work, how we treat each other in our marriages, how we parent, things we do with our time and our money. Lord, help us to be distinct for the purpose of making impact to the people around us, Lord. We love you and we praise you we pray now for our time of communion. You minister to our hearts, please. In Jesus' name, amen.